Yo, what's up everybody? It's Cameron here. And Nicole. Back with another mystery for you, although this one will later be solved with DNA. Uh, I, I'm, I'm dipping my toe here into the, the true crime. Which is not your thing. It's typically not my cup of tea. I like a little more cryptid creature, a little more hooky dooky spooky uh, mystery, but... Yeah, you don't like gore, you don't like... Well, I like gore. What I know, but like you, you can't. Oh, not you real could, gore. No, yeah, not, not particularly. But I did come across this. So I wanted to do the case of Marilyn Shepard. Okay. Have you heard of this one at all? Mm, mm, name doesn't sound familiar. Okay. The trial for the violent murder of Marilyn Shepard was considered to be the O.J. Simpson case of its day. Huh. Both in the public spectacle and in its unconventional journey through the law system. Really? Yes, indeed. Wait, this is this. So this was a huge case. Yes. What year? On July fourth, nineteen fifty-four, Marilyn Shepard was found brutally murdered in her Bay Village home in Ohio. The mother, who was four months pregnant at the time, was bludgeoned to death, hit twenty-seven times by an unknown object. Her husband, Sam Shepard, survived the incident, claiming to have fought with a bushy-haired intruder and being rendered unconscious twice in his efforts. Huh. He would both be found guilty and innocent of her murder in separate trials over the years. And in this episode, we will see how the media, court system, and odd circumstances put an innocent man behind bars. Sam Shepard was born in Cleveland, Ohio, the youngest of three sons of Dr. Richard Allen Shepard. He attended Cleveland Heights High School, where he was an excellent student and won class president for three years. Okay. He was active in multiple athletic extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. He played football, basketball, and ran track. Hmm. He was a fit guy. Yeah. Fit and popular. Sam met his future wife, Marilyn Reese, while in high school. They were high school sweethearts. Cute. He was offered athletic scholarships from several small Ohio colleges, but Shepard wanted to follow in the footsteps of his father and older brothers to pursue a career in medicine. He enrolled at Hanover College in Indiana to study pre-osteopathic medical courses, Shepard finished his medical education at Los Angeles Osteopathic School for Physicians and Surgeons, now the University of California, Irvine, mm-hmm. and was awarded the Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, DO, medical degree. Mm-hmm. Shepard completed his internship and residency in neurosurgery at Los Angeles County General Hospital, and there he married Marilyn Reese on February 21st, 1945, in Hollywood, California, baby. Whoa. Mm-hmm. A few years later, the pair returned to Ohio and Sam joined his father's growing medical practice at the Bayview Hospital. Marilyn was born and raised in the Cleveland area as well and attended the Cleveland Heights High School where she and Sam met and dated. After graduation, while Sam was off attending medical school, Marilyn attended Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York. Mm -hmm. They married in California, Hollywood, baby, during his residency before returning to Ohio as previously mentioned. Okay. With the purchase of their first home, located on a high cliff overlooking the Lake Erie shore in Bay Village, they seemed to have the perfect life. They were in a semi-elite suburb of Cleveland, and Marilyn was settling into the life of being married to a wealthy physician. Mm -hmm. It wasn't long before they had their first and only surviving child, Sam Reese Shepard, who was affectionately called Chip. She transferred into her life as a stay-at-home mother and teaching Bible classes at their Methodist church. Okay. The couple, who were both sports enthusiasts, spent their leisure time playing golf and water skiing. They frequently had friends over for parties and had all the appearances of a happy family. Okay. But in truth, it was suffering from Sam's infidelity. Sam had begun an affair with 24-year-old lab technician Susan Hayes, 
and Marilyn had found out. Mm -hmm. They never talked of divorce and were trying to take steps to revitalize their marriage, supposedly. Okay. On the night of Saturday, July 3rd, 1954, Sam and Marilyn were entertaining their neighbors at their lakefront home. While they were watching the movie Strange Holiday, Sam fell asleep on the daybed in the living room. With the night over, Marilyn walked the neighbors out and made her way to the bedroom, leaving Sam on the couch. In the early hours of July 4th, Marilyn Shepard was bludgeoned to death in her bed with an unknown instrument. She was struck 27 times in the head, leaving her unrecognizable. Hmm. The bedroom was covered with blood and spatters of viscera dripped from the ceiling and wall. Gross. Some items from the house, including Sam Shepard's wristwatch, keychain and key, and fraternity ring, appear to have been stolen, indicating that this was a robbery gone wrong. Mm -hmm. The items were later found in a canvas bag and shrubbery behind the house during the investigation. We'll talk about this later. Okay. According to Sam, he was sleeping soundly on the daybed when he heard cries from his wife. He ran upstairs to their bedroom where he saw a white form in the bedroom. For the first few times he talks to the a cops. A white form. He just calls it a white form. He's just kind of vague. He later described it as a man with bushy white hair. Mm-hmm. He fought with the intruder and was rendered unconscious, but not seriously injured. When he came to, he located the person downstairs and commenced chasing him out of the house and down to the beach. There, they fought once again and Shepard was knocked out once again. Mm-hmm. He was a physical guy, but not apparently a fighter. Until much later in his life, we'll see. But don't worry, we'll get to that. Okay. So where was the child in all of this? Uh, he. We'll get to that a little bit later, but he was just asleep through all of this. He oh, never wow. woke up. Okay. At 5.40 a.m., the shepherd's neighbor, the mayor, Jay Spencer Houck, and his wife, Esther, received an urgent phone call from Sam, pleading for them to come from the home. He said, quote, For God's sake, Spen, get over here quick. I think they killed Marilyn. When the neighbor and his wife arrive, Sam was shirtless and his pants had a blood stain on his knee, but otherwise he was unstained. Mm-hmm. He appeared to be in a state of shock. They called the police and the authorities arrived shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Bay Village patrolman Fred Durkin is the first to arrive at the murder scene. Drenkin. Sorry. Durkin does sound a little dumber. Fred Drekin is the first to arrive at the murder scene. He locates the body, blood spots through the house, and the evidence of an apparent robbery. Sam disjointedly reports to the officer his story of hearing Marilyn scream, running upstairs, fighting on the stairs, waking up again, seeing the man flee, fighting on the beach, and then being knocked out again, and then yeah. waking up on the lake. Sam seemed pretty disoriented, and he was still in shock, mm-hmm. possibly from the two bashes to the head. Right, <laughs> makes sense. The family dog was never heard barking to indicate an intruder, and their seven-year-old Sam, Chip, was asleep in the adjacent bedroom throughout the entire thing. Crazy. Sam's brother, the neighbors, police, and members of the press all walked through their home and into the murder scene. Why? Just classic compromisation, you know. Why? Just just what we did. Their son, Chip, who was the still... The thing that I don't understand, and I'm just going to interject really quick, is why when something tragic happens in the home Mm -hmm. people just call the neighbors yeah or call not the police that is bonkers like granted he's the mayor but so i guess he has some authority but it doesn't matter like (laughs) right he's gonna call the police anyways yeah in fact the first thing he did was like oh shit sam we should call the police (laughs) that's what i don't i just don't understand carry on with your story wild wild play 
Their son, Chip, who was still sleeping in his room, was taken out by Sam's brother, Richard. Sam was taken to the Bayview Hospital after complaining of head and neck injuries as a result of the struggle with the bushy-haired intruder. Mm-hmm. There, he was questioned under sedation, and then again later uh, while he was undergoing neurological test. Mm-hmm. By the following morning, on July 5th, the local newspapers had already gone in full swing coverage of the murder. The papers reported that Shepard's family secured attorney William J. Corrigan for Sam, who recommends that Sam does not talk to police. And it does not take long for the papers to begin their... What? I mean, kind of, I mean, right after a murder, if you're the most likely suspect, it's not crazy for well, his, I guess it, I mean, for his it's lawyers all... just to say, don't talk to... Don't say anything. I mean, always the spouse is going to be the first. But that's also just speculation coming from the papers based on the fact that he hired an attorney, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So it doesn't take long for the papers to begin their opinion and speculation on the case, none of which is favorable for Sam. Mm-hmm. The funeral for Marilyn is held on July 7th, but because of the heavy coverage, uh, Sam... Did he not show up to the funeral? Well, because of their the heavy coverage, their son wasn't, didn't go. Oh, well, that makes sense. That's sad, though. Yeah. With the papers angling against him, Sam issues a statement saying he has fully cooperated with the authorities and offers a $10,000 reward for the arrest and conviction of Marilyn's killer. Okay. On July 9th, Sam returns home with the authorities and performs a reenactment of the events on July 4th. So when did the actual crime take place? Like what date? Fourth of July. Uh, late third of July, fourth of July. So the third the going hours. into the fourth? Yeah. Okay. And then he Sometime reenacts. around three, four in the morning. He, and rea- he reenacts on the ninth? This is the ninth now, yes. He tells law I enforcement. Hate, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's part of the investigation. He kind of, I mean, he had. I know, but I'm just saying, like, I feel like there's always. I feel like that's such a huge time gap in between to reenact. That's true. But I mean, he was also in the hospital for his injuries at that time, I think. Okay. He tells law enforcement that he will not submit to a lie detector test at this time, but he gives a voluntary formal statement. Did they already ask him questions while they were doing neurologic testing? Yeah. is that already, equivalent? They've already questioned him once when he was loopy on drugs later. And then this would be a third time he's giving his like official formal police statement now. Okay. He gives a statement at the Cuyahogan County Sheriff's Office. Mm-hmm. His stories remain consistent, but he states at this time that he did not have an affair with the technician, Susan Hayes. Okay. This is something that's going to be a problem later for Sam. Uh-huh. Sam returns... he probably was having an affair with technicians. Yeah, he, he, just, he definitely is. Yeah. Sam returns to work at Bayview Hospital on July 12th, but says that he is still a little fuzzy about things and he wears dark glasses during his rounds because the light hurts his eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'd want out of my doctor. Maybe he should take a little more time off and not come in with a head injury. Yeah. And after your family's, well, your wife's been murdered. Yeah. On July 21st, 1954, the morning edition of the Cleveland Press runs a front page editorial. The headline, Why No Inquest? Do it now, Dr. Gerber. Uh, Dr. Gerber was the county coroner. Mm. It is effective because later that day, Coroner Gerber calls an official inquest on the case. And this will not be the first time that the press dictates action to the authorities on this investigation. Okay. The inquest was held at the Normandy High School Gymnasium in order to What? In order to accommodate the large crowds of newspaper reporters, radio, and TV crews. I guess it's a small town, right? It's just a big murder trial. It's getting a ton of coverage. I know, but like at a gymnasium at a high school? It's a lot of people. Sam's attorneys are not permitted to represent him at the inquest, mm-hmm. so he was speaking alone without representation to the police. Mm-hmm. It was a three-day event, 
and a spectacle in which Sam was questioned and again he denied the affair with Susan Hayes. This was a lie that would later be used to impeach his credibility on trial. Mm -hmm. The coroner, Gerber, officially releases his verdict and names Sam as the murderer. Next, the police called in Susan Hayes. During this interview, she admits to having the affair with her boss. Mm -hmm. With all this information out, the papers are outraged and calling for the arrest of Sam. On July 30th, the Cleveland Press releases the headline, Why Isn't Sam Shepard in Jail? By 10 p.m. that night, the police officially make a warrant for the arrest of Sam Shepard. Once again, Probably due to the pressure of the press. They appear to be following the direction of public opinion and demand. Yeah. On August 16th, a grand jury is convened, and by the following day, they issue a first-degree murder indictment. During the jury selection, a motion was made to move the trial out of the area due to the heavy press coverage. Mm Mm-hmm. But the motion was denied by Judge Edward Blythen. Controversially, Judge Blythen did not order the sequestering of the jury. Jurors' names and photos appeared in Really? Pa- yep. You're not supposed to do that. Announce who the ju- who's on jury. Oh, I know. This is crazy. Jurors' names vote, and photos appear in the paper over 40 times. They had equal access to information about the case from the press no. as the rest no. of the nation. <laughs> no! Well, that's what happened. No! Two jurors admitted to hearing false national news reports about the arrest of a woman claiming to have an illegitimate child by Sam. Defense asked Judge Blythe to question jury about hearing this and other false reports, but he refuses, saying, It's a matter of free speech. We are not going to harass the jury every morning. But it seems like they but are. You, but it's but cl- you put all their information out there. People, they're going to get harassed. True. And they're just getting a bunch of information about right. the case. And they're not supposed to. They're supposed to form their own opinion, not be swayed by public. The police themselves issue a press release calling Sam a barefaced liar. The trial began on October 18th in Cleveland, Ohio. On the first day, the jury was taken to the crime scene for a tour. While hundreds of reporters and looky-loo stood outside. I hate looky-loos. You're a looky-loo. I'm not a looky-loo. You're a peeper. I'm not a peeper. Similar. One reporter, I'm well-informed. <laughs> one reporter was allowed to accompany the jury and document the process. Mm-hmm. The first witness to take the stand was Dr. Lester Edelson, who was the doctor who performed the autopsy on Marilyn. In cross-examination, the defense tried to discredit Edelson by pointing to the many mistakes made in his report. The main points of contention were that the autopsy had omitted tests generally performed in suspected homicide cases, and they had failed to identify a murder weapon. But they also pointed to smaller, clear. How did they fail to define a weapon when they said she was bludgeoned by a head? They never identified what, what it was that bludgeoned her. They also pointed to smaller clerical errors in the report, which suggested that his incompetency in these small matters might transcend into larger and more damning mistakes for Sam. The police officer, who was first on the scene, testified that there was no forced entry on the house, though Sam would say under oath that he and Marilyn often left the front door unlocked, so there would be no sign of forced entry anyway. Sounds like this is me forming my own opinion. From the beginning, you said it looked like there was no forced entry. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you said the dog didn't make any noise, so Mm -hmm. it had to have been someone that they knew. It was already in the house, possibly, is what they're trying to point out, is what the prosecution is trying to prove. Well, even if it was someone already in the house, the dog would probably bark at them, no? Well, maybe if you're killing someone. I sure hope if we're getting murdered, our dogs do care a little, you know? Oh, they bark when someone's at the door. So, hopefully. Another point made by the officer was that there was no blood leading away from the house or on the doorknobs or surrounding exit. 
Based on Sam's account of the fleeing perpetrator, it is assumed by the violence of the crime that the assailant would be covered in blood and leave signs of his exit. Mm. Next, Susan Hayes took the stand. She once again admitted to being involved in an extramarital affair with Shepard since she began work as a lab technician. During the initial inquest, Sam had denied this affair, and the prosecution would hammer this home and point it out to say that if he was willing to lie under oath to protect Miss Hayes, then he would surely lie under oath to protect himself. Mm-hmm. When Sam took the stand, it was first addressed that he had given his statement to police several times and his story had largely stayed the same. It was during this time that he also mentioned the door often being unlocked. Mm-hmm. The prosecution tried to hammer home the story that Shepard's marriage had been on the rocks and his motive to kill his wife was to start a new life with the assistant, Hayes. Sam admitted that Marilyn had been less interested in sex after the birth of their first child. And although he was guilty of the affair with Hayes... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how old Ship is. I'm pretty sure he's like a toddler, like five maybe, I think. I, I can't remember. Assuming he's away all the time. Being a doctor. Yeah. And although he was oh guilty of the... Aff- and although <laughs> Sorry, he, just the fact that he's just like... I don't have sex. I need to find it elsewhere. Although he was My guilty, wife wouldn't give it up. <laughs> although he was guilty of the affair with Hayes and would flirt with other women, he had never considered leaving Marilyn. This was corroborated by the Aherns, the guests who were with the Shepherds that night, who accounted that the couple were very affectionate on the night of her death. Shepherd was honest and constant with his account of the affair with Hayes, including a five-day stay in a California hotel and insisted that he had lied about the affair in an attempt to save Miss Hayes' reputation and not his own. Stand-up cheater. The entire trial lasted nine weeks and was incredibly public and biased. I'm going to quickly run through some of the key points of evidence from the case so we don't have to, like, you know, really hammer this home. Yeah. Or so we don't, you know, have to go for three hours of multiple episodes. <laughs> the shepherd's dog, Coco, never barked. Right. So we didn't ind- indicate an intruder or it possibly knew the person. Yeah. Police discovered no sign of forced entry. Again, Sam... They tried, leave the door open. Sam cleared that up at the lock. Sam's missing t-shirt. Sam wore a shirt the night of the murder, but was shirtless upon awakening on the beach after the second fight and attack. When asked about it, Sam said, Maybe the man I saw needed one. I don't know. And it would appear as though he was hiding or destroying bloody evidence for the prosecution. So this was a piece of it. If he did murder Marilyn, likely that shirt would be covered in blood. Right. So it would make sense that he would try to hide it. Right. But also, his pants weren't covered in blood, and he seemed fairly clean. Well, he only had the blood stain on his knee. He had the shirt when he first attacked the intruder and when he went ran down the beach. Yeah. So this is assuming that while he was unconscious, the real murderer took his shirt off. And there's also a few other items here that we're actually going to get to. Unless there was like an in the fight, maybe he bled on him. And like needed evidence or something. Yeah. This is also also the 50s. So like blood evidence isn't super other than like blood type. But his his uh, fraternity ring his and his key were also missing after this. Right. Like, those were the items found in the bag. Yeah. The delayed reporting. Mm-hmm. Sam first called his friend, the mayor, at 5.40 a.m. Yeah, that that one just, that gets me. <laughs> the autopsy reported the death between 3 and 4 a.m., and Sam's watch had stopped working at 4.15. Okay. Based on the time of death, this would have given Sam a lot of time to hide evidence and stage the scene, if not unconscious. Mm-hmm. But Sam would actually say, uh, 
the watch had stopped working far before that uh in a in, while they were water skiing actually their hobby he got water underneath it and it stopped forever ago so he was trying to say that's not that doesn't really matter there's also blood on the watch but he said that he he said that that happened when he was checking Marilyn's pulse her head was bashed in and she was or maybe not after she was unrecognizable yeah i know it's all it's tragically sad but kind of comical at the same time thinking about the situation yeah i don't i feel like if i hope this never i I hope this never happens but if you if your head's missing i'm not going to check your pulse yeah (laughs) no problem yeah and i think the first thing i'm going to do is if i see that i'm gonna call the cops please do call 911 call an ambulance something that might attach my head again yeah i don't know that'd be super Mm -hmm. signs of a staged crime drawers were pulled in the bedroom and sam's medical bag was dumped but no items were missing from either the only things that were taken were off sam's person when he was unconscious right so wait, the, can I can we go back a little bit? So mm-hmm. the only items that were stolen belonged to Sam. Nothing belonged to like anyone else. Yes, it was his key, keychain, and fraternity ring. Interesting. And his watch, but but I'm saying they're they're all Sam's items. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nothing from the house was taken. Okay. They also accused Sam of possibly staging a sex crime. Marilyn's shirt was pulled up, exposing her breast, and her pants were lowered, exposing her pubic hair. And this was never said in trial, but there was a, a semen sample also taken from the scene. Oh, really? And so indicating... So she was assaulted also? Yes. Okay. Crime of passion. Uh, That's what I, I... My first thought was a crime of passion. Because Marilyn was wounded 27 times, yeah. it was theorized that Sam had entered seeking sex and flew into a rage at her denial. It was a very violent crime, so it's li- unlikely for a robbery gone wrong... Uh, it would indicate that this person at least knew them and had some sort of you mm-hmm. know, anger vendetta. I wouldn't necessarily pin it on Sam, but that was my first thought. It was possibly a crime of passion. Because no one bludgeons someone no. that many times, and let alone if it's a crime gone wrong, you don't, you don't do that to a person X Mm-mm. amount of times. You don't stab a person 10 times. You don't crack someone's head 27 times. You don't shoot someone seven times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's usually like a... A finger slip. 27 times no it's usually like a a one two type of thing sam's infidelity as previously mentioned was a huge character assassination this was the main point that the prosecution was trying to drive home that he was killing killing his wife to start a new life Mm -hmm. sam's thumbprint was found on Marilyn's headboard okay no other prints apart from the couple were lifted from the house but the prosecution used its placement to theorize that Sam placed his hand there while murdering his wife. But I mean, oh, it's all it's very, a headboard. Yeah, it's all very circumstantial. I mean, it yeah. makes sense that it could be there. So yeah, the bloody watch, Sam Shepard watch was found in a green duffel bag above the lake. There were the other missing items, including the key and the glass ring. Mm-hmm. And as we said, there was the whole thing with the watch stopping time. The watch was a very important key evidence. Mm-hmm. What was odd and what they were trying to kind of figure out about these missing items, though, are why the murderer would have stolen the watch, the shirt, the key, and then just dumped them nearby in a bush. Possibly just he knew, like, I don't know, you can't sell things from this murder. It's going to be too hot, covered in evidence. So it does look suspicious possibly for Sam. Also, you're stealing specific things. You're stealing a key that belongs to something, right? Mm -hmm. Something specific. You're stealing a class ring, which can easily trail back to who it it could belong to. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so it's it's too specific. The missing lamp. The shepherds had recently missing lamp. The shepherds had recently gotten a metal lamp, desk lamp repaired, which had sat on Marilyn's bedside table, but it was missing. Oh, so they assumed she blood she was bludgeoned with that. Yeah, it was suggested that the blood stains on the pillowcase could match the missing lamp structure, and that the and that was the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. But also stated that a medical instrument was imprinted on the pillowcase, and that was the murder instrument. But I don't get what medical instrument could he have used that would well, bludgeon. That's, that's the thing. It seemed like they were just talking about about it. Like they were describing like a scalpel or like a slashy. But like you can't bash it, someone's head with a with a scalpel. Yeah, I was a little confused about some of, some of the reading on that one. Yeah. Uh, but I also read though that later they technology looking at the case. Or I can't even remember. But some people theorize it was a metal flashlight. The butt end of that. Mm-hmm. Also, just never found though. None of the no no instrument was found. Mm-hmm. Sam's wounds. Doctor William Fallon, the director of the trauma center, described Shepard's neck and other injuries as serious and almost impossible to self-inflict. Mm-hmm. Supporting the story that Sam was attacked, he was rendered unconscious by a hard blow to the back of the neck and head. He stated that he was rendered unconscious the second time while lunging for the man while he was chasing him on the beach. Mm -hmm. And then he just twisted and his vision blacked out. So it doesn't even seem like he was hit in the second fight. It just seems like the back, the the hit to the head, just he was still woozy. He had no history of violence. That was brought up into court. But I mean, you know, people can snap, but he had no criminal history. Like the TV show, Snapped. Snapped. The damaged trophies. The police search turned up trophies from athletic achievements that were scratched and damaged. It points and fingers someone possibly having beef with the couple, apart from like them, because they were accomplishments together. Yeah. Sam's pants. There was very little blood on Sam's pants. Right. And the blood splatter from Marilyn reached the ceiling and walls. It is assumed that Sam would be covered in blood. Right. But there was just a spot on his knee from when he was checking her pulse, the same moment he would have gotten out of the watch. Right. A forensic expert analyzed the blood splatter and concluded that the killer was left-handed, but Sam was right. They also concluded that the murderer cut his hand and left a separate blood trail, yet Sam had no cuts on his hand or anywhere apart from, like, you know, the hits. Mm -hmm. Technology wasn't there yet, but this left us the criminal's blood that would be tested later. Okay. On December 16th, 1954, the testimony ends, and the prosecution is seeking death by electric chair for first-degree murder. Jesus. Yeah, they're going hard. The jury deliberates and is sequestered for the first time. But they were permitted to make unsupervised phone calls to their homes. Oh, my God. So not totally sequestered. No, not at all. Why do they even say that? (laughs) This judge sucked. This makes me so mad. (laughs) On December 21st, the jury returns a verdict of murder in the second degree. Jury reports that for the first four days, it was split on whether Sam was guilty or innocent. At 11 a.m. on day five, all agreed he was guilty. Sam is sentenced to life in prison, yet maintains his innocence. Shepard's home is unsealed and returned to the family members. Mm-hmm. On January 3rd, 1955, Sam's lawyer motions for a new trial, but Judge Blythen, the old stick in the mud, he probably denied it. Denies the motion. Of course. The motion included 40 grounds for a new trial, mm-hmm. including pre-trial publicity, denial of a change of venue, Presence of the press in the courtroom. Yep. Substitution of a juror. Mm-hmm. Errors in jury instructions. Wait, substitution of a juror. I think midway through the trial, they had to sub sub someone out. Oh my God. Okay. 
errors in jury instructions, uh-huh. and denial of a motion for continuance. Uh, those were the big ones, but again, there were also a those lot are of, all big ones. Yeah, there were a lot of other ones though that they were like, "Come on, I'm I'm rolling my eyes to every single one of them." Uh, it takes a turn for the sad again here. Okay, on January seventh, nineteen fifty-five. Mm-hmm. Ethel Nile Shepard, Sam's mother, commits suicide. Not long after, on January 18th, Richard Allen Shepard, Sam's father, died from complications from stomach cancer. Ooh. Yeah, so it so seems So he lost like, both parents while he was in prison. Yes. That's terrible. Things don't slow down on the legal front. Mm-hmm. Paul Leland Kirk, professor of criminalistics and a forensic expert for the Shepard defense team, is brought in to visit the Shepard home, and he examined evidence and samples collected by police. Okay. The defense moves for a new trial on the ground that Kirk discovered new evidence. Mm-hmm. The motion was once again stricken down by Judge Blythen. Judge Blythen can sit on a dick. Yeah, he's the worst. They make appeals to the Supreme Court, but they are also struck down there, even going above Blythen. But as we just saw from a criminal documentary, uh, they're not big on parole and giving people chances no, and appeals. No, they're not. So. Sam would end up spending 10 years in maximum security prison in Columbus and later Marion Correctional Institute. There, he would write letters to his future wife, Ariane Tabrahanis. Possibly. It's kind of a hard-looking name to say. Yeah. Not exactly sure how they met. In February 1963, Thomas Reese, Marilyn's father, also commits suicide. Jeez. That same year, Ohio Parole Board denies Sam's request for parole. It's another rough year. These 10 years are kind of hard. Mm-hmm. During his imprisonment, his former attorney died of a heart attack, and young Boston attorney, F. Lee Bailey, is brought on. Okay. Bailey files a new habeas corpus petition in the U.S. District Court, Mm -hmm. arguing that the prejudicial publicity surrounding the 1954 trial violated Sam's right to due process. True. Cuyahoga County Coroner Samuel Gerber wrote a letter to Ohio Attorney General William Saxby requesting that Governor James A. Rhodes pardon Sam. This was the man who concluded that he was guilty after pressure from the press. Mm-hmm. July 16, 1964. The district court judge calls the 1954 trial a mockery of justice. The violated Shepard's 14th Amendment right to due process. Yep. The state is ordered to release Sam Shepard and gives the prosecution 60 days to bring credible charges. Otherwise, the case will be dismissed permanently. So with that, he's released from prison. Mm-hmm. Currently a free man. Sam marries his second wife on July 18th, 1964, who has a very hard name to read. Ariane Tabianis. Ariane Tabahanis. They had kept correspondence during his sentence, and some of that time was he was unable to write directly and had to pass messages through his brother. Mm-hmm. Also during this time, his brother Richard was arrested for having stolen possession of Maryland's jewelry and the such. Okay. He was feared with being involved with a murder after a polygraph uh, but he just took stuff after the murder. It just after they unsealed the house, he took some of that family's possessions. Mm-hmm. June 6th, 1966. Okay. In the case of Shepard versus Maxwell, by an 8-1 to vote, the court concluded that Sam did not receive a fair trial consistent with the due process. No fucking shit. And orders the murder verdict invalid and removed. A few days later, prosecutor John Corrigan announces Sam will be retried for the murder of his wife. Good. We're coming at it again. Mm-hmm. On October 24th, 1966, Sam's second trial begins. Mm -hmm. Learning from the mistakes of the first trial, Judge Francis totally limits press coverage in the courtroom. Oh my God, it's about damn time. Also this time around, Sam does not take the stand in his defense. Okay. 
The story of the attack is bizarre, and he's kind of a bad character witness. The former jury found him smug, and granted, they had a very slanted view of him, mm-hmm. but he's, he's, I mean, he's a smart doctor. He is a little, you know, sure of himself, I think. Yeah. On November 16th, the jury deliberates for less than one day, and this time around, they find Sam not guilty. Mm-hmm. He's now an innocent man. Mm-hmm. The following year... Poor man. Yeah. The following year, Sam regained his medical license and begins practicing again, mm-hmm. but it doesn't last long. That same year, he is sued for malpractice in the death of a patient, and he leaves the profession permanently. What? Yeah. I mean, neurosurgery, you're, des- you're messing with the brain. No, I know. Uh, but also the issue is he had started drinking heavily, and it affected his medical skills. I think he started getting a little shaky. Ooh. You don't want that with neurosurgery. No, not at all. His second wife filed for divorce in 1968, so they not were really only together like one or two years. Uh, after a stormy, stormy marriage that included threats and more infidelity from Sam, he was never truly faithful. He had a problem with the ladies. Mm-hmm. This is where things get interesting. Okay. In 1969, Sam begins a career as a professional wrestler under the what? name under the name Killer or Killer Sam Shepard. Uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty poor taste. Yeah, that's Especially pretty bad. If you're adamant you didn't kill your wife, don't you don't, don't lean don't, in. No. Don't lean in. No. I, I get it. You want to do a career change, and boy, is that a career change. It's wild. But a different name is would definitely be best. <laughs> yeah. He befriended professional wrestler George Strickland and had begun training with him. He debuted in August 1969 at the age of 45 oh, okay. as Killer Sam Shepard, nope. wrestling Wild Bill Scholl, mm. who'd go on to marry Strickland's 20-year-old daughter, Colleen Strickland. What? But their marriage would not be uh, would not last long because he was, was infant. He wasn't faithful. No, he would die six months later. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I thought it was just it was infidelity. No, well, po- who? I mean, pro- who can say? Shepard wrestled over 40 matches before his death in April 1970 including a number of tag team bouts with Strickland as his partner. His notoriety... I can't. The, the <laughs> fact that he just decided to just, you know what, let me fucking wrestle. Hey, he was good at it. His notoriety made him a strong draw for the sport. During his wrestling career, Dr. Shepard used his anatomical knowledge to develop a new submission hold, and he called the mandible nerve pinch. The maneuver would go on to be renamed the Mandible Claw and utilized and popularized by professional wrestler Mankind in 1996. The Claw. Toward the end of his life, Shepard was reportedly drinking as much as two-fifths of liquor a day. Jesus. On April 6, 1970, Shepard was found dead in his home in Columbus. Early reports indicate that Shepard died of liver failure, but the Mm. official cause of death was a type of brain damage associated with advanced alcoholism. So he was really going for it. Yeah. He died an innocent man, but his family and son in particular were still unhappy with their father's besmirched name and continued fighting for justice. Mm -hmm. In September 1997, his body was exhumed for DNA testing and as part of the lawsuit brought by his son to clear his father's name. Mm -hmm. The DNA testing absolved Shepard of the murder. Blood found at the scene, apart from Maryland's, was inconsistent with Sam's. Mm Mm-hmm. This was the blood from the murderer's cut hand. Yeah. After the test, the body was cremated and the ashes were interned in a mausoleum in Knollwood Cemetery in Mayfield Heights, Ohio. Were they able to do any, like, um, the semen? Yes, they did eventually. Okay. Interned at the Knollwood Cemetery in Mayfield Heights, Ohio, Mm -hmm. along with those of his murdered wife, Marilyn. Mm -hmm. It turns out that Sam was innocent all along. Mm -hmm. If Sam didn't kill his wife, then who could have so viciously slain this pregnant woman? Mm Mm-hmm. 
This takes us to Richard Eberling. Who is Richard Eberling? Yeah, I was about to ask. Born December 8, 1929, to single mother Louise Lenardic, Eberling was quickly placed into the foster care system because his mother was unable to care for him. Mm. His mother identified the father as alcoholic police officer George Anderson, but he was never in the picture. Mm-hmm. On visits to the Cuyahoga County Welfare Office, his mother began displaying bizarre and erratic behavior. Richard was also displaying odd behavior, which was putting off would-be foster families. He would have long-running tantrums, compulsively masturbated, he would do breath-holding, and seemed to have an inability to acquire language. From a young, mm-hmm. from a young age... Did he, all, he kill animals, too? Uh, no reports of that. From a young age, he also reportedly displayed homosexual tendencies, which was creating difficulties for him in the time to find a stable home to take him in. Yeah. His mother, Louise, never surrendered her rights, meaning Richard could never be placed in a permanent home and would have made and would have had more contact with his mentally deteriorating really? mother. Hmm? said, really? She still wanted to keep him in the end if she could. But... Or at least keep contact. Okay. He would eventually be placed with George and Christine Eberling in 1939, mm-hmm. an elderly couple living on a farm with other foster children. The foster children were used for cheap labor to work the farm. Mm-hmm. During this time, Richard quickly became a favorite of Miss Eberling. It is said that her fawning produced feminine mannerisms from Richard. A county caseworker noted that he didn't play with the other boys, but preferred to clean, redecorate, or dress up in Miss Eberling's clothing. His mother tried to reestablish contact with Richard at this time, but the county wouldn't allow it because they had informed Richard that both of his parents were dead. Oh, shit. Not the first time we've come across this in one of the stories where the government's just like, ah, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look into it. He graduated high school and started his own cleaning and decorating business. Mm-hmm. He changed his name to Richard George Eberling, taking his late foster father's surname and first name as his middle. Okay. It wasn't long before Richard's cleaning business gained a reputation for stealing from his clients. Okay. Money, jewelry, and other small items had a habit of disappearing after where, Richard's visits. Where did his cleaning um, business take place? We're in Ohio. We're, we're the same so area. we are in Ohio. We're in the same area. Oh, okay. He had an oddly close relationship with the mayor's wife, who was also friends with um, the shepherds, mm-hmm. and ended up landing a job redesigning the courthouse, but it would end in disaster. With his lack of experience and professionalism, it quickly went over budget, over schedule and out of hand oh. and he was fired from the job mm-hmm. Everling also became quick friends with Ethel Mae Durkin a wealthy childless widow who lived in Lakewood she had hired Everling to do some decorating for her and quickly became her most trusted confidant hmm. yeah this is weird mm-hmm. this is when things start to really pick up in Everling's known criminal rap sheet Okay. Ethel's sister Myrtle Frey who was not a fan of Everling was savagely beaten about her head and strangled to death in her secured apartment building on May 20th, 1962. Interesting. Next, Ethel's older sister, Sarah Bell Farrow, died under suspicious circumstances when she fell down the basement stairs March 1970. With the wealthy next of kin out of the picture, Richard enlisted the help of Patricia Boger to help forge documents that would give Eberling complete control over Durkin's finances. Boger was supposed to receive 10% of the estate for her help. As Durkin's health declined, Richard was in charge of her financial and medical decisions. Uh-huh. Under his care, Ethel endured a number of suspicious accidents, including another suspicious fall down some stairs. 
Suspected that Richard might back out of the 10% deal, Boger sent a notarized letter to her attorney, instructing him to keep the contents safe until she needed them in the future. This was her insurance policy to rat out Richard, but it's also implicating herself, so I'm a little confused by it. Or maybe just at least saying that, she didn't kill, that she's not going to kill anybody? I don't know. I yeah. don't exactly get the point of it. On November 15, 1983, the police was called to Ethel's home, where the paramedics found her face down on the hardwood floor. Mm-hmm. Richard theorized that she had a heart attack and violently fell to the floor, but wounds to her face led medical professions to think that she had been attacked. X-rays would later reveal that Durkin's neck bone had been broken in the same spot where Marilyn Shepard's had been. Hmm. In Durkin's forged will, she left the bulk of the estate to Eberling. He had also added in the will instructions that she, to be ba- that she was to be buried with her jewelry and clad in her favorite mink coat. Richard would end up stealing all of these items before say, the casket yeah. was sealed and buried. The estate was currently in the hands of the independent attorney by the Cuyahoga County Probate Court, and they began finding irregularities in the final will. Mm-hmm. The matter was returned to the court for further investigation, and in July 1988, Eberling and three associates were arrested for forgery, perjury, aggravated grand theft, mm-hmm. tampering with evidence, and tampering with records, mm-hmm. but not the murder yet. Hmm. Ethel's body was exhumed, where they discovered the missing items mentioned in the will, yeah. further damning him. On further examination, they concluded that she had been hit hard in the neck from behind. Mm-hmm. Eberling, who had claimed to hit Dirk into one of the co-conspirators, was charged with the murder. Eberling and his companion, Obi Henderson, were found guilty of the murder of Ethel May Durkin in July 1989. Okay. Although Richard had problems with language in his youth, he didn't seem to have any problem talking and boasting about his crimes. In the death of Ethel's sister Myrtle, the one who was beaten and strangled, he said, I wouldn't have been surprised if the murderer had washed up in the sink and then donned one of Frey's dresses to use an escape costume to avoid being seen in the lobby security cameras. Hmm. This could also explain the lack of blood exiting the Shepherd crime scene, as well as explain Sam's missing shirt. He would have taken something clean, not covered in blood, to escape. Yeah. When it came to the other sister, Sarah, Richard was quoting as saying, if I would have killed her, I would have pushed her down the basement stairs. Which is exactly, exactly what how happened. she died. Yeah. There were a lot of similarities to the murder in the case of Marilyn Shepherd, but what is their connection? Mm-hmm. He was an occasional maintenance man and window washer at the Shepherd home. Okay. He was first under police scrutiny in 1959 when detectives questioned Richard Eberling about various burglaries in the area. Mm-hmm. Eberling confessed to the burglaries and showed the detectives his loot, which included two rings that belonged to Marilyn Shepard. Okay. Eberling said that he stole the rings in 1958, a few years after the murder, from Sam Shepard's brother's house, taken from a box marked Personal Property of Marilyn Shepard. You will remember that Sam's brother got arrested. That's how they got to yeah. him. They caught him. He let him there. Mm-hmm. In subsequent questioning, Eberling admitted that his blood was at the crime scene of Marilyn Shepard. He stated that he cut his finger while washing windows just prior to the murder and bled while on the premises. Mm. As part of the investigation, Eberling took a polygraph test with questions about the murder of Marilyn. The polygraph examiner concluded that Eberlin did not show detection in his answers. Although the polygraph results were evaluated by other experts years later who found that it was either inconclusive or that he was being deceptive. Either way, he was let go and not associated with that murder at all at the time. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, but a few years later, Sam's already in jail for it. Mm-hmm. 
DNA evidence, which was not available in the two murder trials, played an important role in the civil trial clearing Sam Shepard's name, but it was inconclusive in naming Eberling. Okay. The DNA test found that Eberling could not be ruled out as the source of the blood from the crime scene because he shares key genetic markers with the blood and semen taken from it. But the DNA analysis falls short of declaring a match between Eberling's DNA and that of the extracted evidence. I think it was something in the court they also said, like, this could also match with, like, 85% of, like, white Caucasian males, like, in the country. Just Really? There's a high, like, demographic because the samples weren't stored properly just mm-hmm. because, I mean, oh, yeah, they, they didn't true. know at the time. Okay. So, because the, the contamination, mm. it's not great, but they could clear, clear Sam. Mm. DNA analysis that was not allowed to be admitted in the trial was inconclusive. A plaintiff DNA expert was 90% confident that one of the blood spots belonged to Richard Eberling, but according to the rules of the court, this was not admissible. The defense argued that the blood evidence that had been tainted in the years since it was collected and that, and that an important blood spot on the closet door in Marilyn Shepard's room potentially included 83% of adult white population. Mm-hmm. The defense also pointed out that the results in the 1955 from the older blood type technique that the blood collected from the closet door was type O, while Eberling's blood is type A. Mm. So it could, so we cannot explain the other blood there. There's a third person still. Yeah. Although Eberling denied any criminal in- involvement in the murder of Marilyn Shepard, Kathy Wagner Dial, who worked alongside Eberling caring for Ethel Mae Durkin in those final years of her life, yeah. testified that Eberling had confessed to her in 1983. He said, slitting a throat and watching someone die was exhilarating and that he had killed Marilyn Shepard and assaulted her husband, Dr. Sam Shepard, in the head with a steel pail, adding, you didn't hear that. <laughs> a fellow convict also reported that Eberling confessed to the crime. The defense called into question the credibility of both witnesses during the 2000 civil trial. Mm-hmm. Eberling died in Ohio prison in 1998 for the murder of Ethel, Yeah, where he was serving a life sentence still. What do you think happened? I don't think it was a husband. Sam. I don't. It's definitely not Sam. DNA has proven him innocent. Even like prior to that, it, the whole trial and was just it was just yeah. fucked. It was just super slanted against him. Yeah. But I, d- there were odd things though that could make it questionable. I mean, one, the affair, and for the time period, the character assassination isn't good for him. No. But also, I mean, the dog not barking. Granted, it would have known that window washer cleaning guy. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. But then there's the weird thing of the blood types not matching up. Yeah. So how do we explain that? Well, didn't it also say that um, Eberly also worked with someone else too to co-conspire? Too? Those were those were with the uh, Ethel Durkin murders, not necessarily with that. So that doesn't mean that's that true. They, he has that doesn't mean that his criminal associates. Yeah, that's true. I also read that he had he was apparently infatuated with Marilyn, and she was not. I rec- thought he liked boys. It was the, well, yeah, but like he had just taken to fancying her. Admi- not I don't. I'm not necessarily even sure. Like sexually maybe as much as just an admiration for her womanhood yeah let's say mm-hmm. so it, that was not necessarily Filling that motherly void that was not necessarily reciprocated by her yeah so it was maybe assumed that he went there to sexually assault her you know she did not reciprocate his feelings and then was murdered yeah and that's why it wasn't sam wasn't really viciously attacked neither was their son nothing yeah. was really stolen right it was just like the clothes had been like opened and rummaged a little mm-hmm 
That's the case of Salmon, Salmon Maryland Shepherd. Wow. There's a ton of information on this actually because because it's so fucked. This is an important case study for a lot of law schools. So there's a ton of stuff online of like breakdowns of the, of like, you know, the actual trial. So if you do want to look into this a little more, just you just have to google it. Honestly, there's a ton of sources out there for you. Crazy. But thanks for listening to our take on the murder of Marilyn Shepherd. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app rate and review that greatly helps us if you want more content out there check out the majestic jam network urban hermit hang out with some cool guys cult classics talk about some cool movies and the high wire podcast and until then i'll check you on the next one Bye. bye